Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. And I'm the Memphis Metropolis host, Emily Trenum. This week, my guest is Jackson McNeil, who's the Transportation and Mobility Director for Innovate Memphis. And we're going to be talking about um, different kinds of commuting options, alternative transportation in Memphis, um, pedestrian safety, all kinds of really sexy subjects that are near and dear to both of our hearts. So, so welcome to the program, Jackson. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited for this. So, um, so let's just, um, I mean, I've, you and I've known each other for a while, but um, just tell me a little bit, tell our audience a little bit about, you know, about you personally, about your background and the journey that you took to get to you know, really working in the transportation mobility space. Yeah, sure. Um, It is a little bit kind of a niche space in in Memphis. And so, yeah, people often are curious how I ended up here. Um, I I moved to Memphis in 2012 to attend Rhodes College. And one of the things that I always love to say about Rhodes is that it is unique in that it is a, a small campus, um, less than 2,000 students, um, but it has the advantage of being in a city in Memphis. And so Rhodes really takes advantage of that and encourages students to be involved in the community, to get outside the gates, as it were. And so that's exactly what I did. I started getting involved in different community organizations, um, community development work, um, economic development work. And at the same time, I was pursuing a degree in urban studies. And so these things that I were I was learning about in school and in class, I was able to connect those things with what was happening or what I was seeing in Memphis. And, and one of those things was uh, our issues with transportation. And so I was learning about the the struggles of providing transportation for folks in Memphis, particularly people who don't have cars, and at the same time was interning with a local organization that helps people um, get jobs, and sure enough, that was one of the major struggles for people was getting to work regularly, on time, um, particularly not using a car was a, you know, a, a struggle for a lot of folks, so... You know, I started to see some of those connections between what I was learning in the classroom and the real world. Uh, And then actually came to um, a wonderful organization that was then known as CD Council that this woman, Emily Trenum, started and ran at the time and uh, ended up actually driving around uh, what we called the mobile porch, which some folks may be familiar with and have seen out in the world, but is the facade of a front porch built on a trailer 
and um, would take that to community events, do community engagement, get community feedback, all that good stuff. But through that work, learned about this field, this profession called urban planning. Um, this program at the University of Memphis that, that you had done and other employees at, at CD Council, what is now Building Memphis, had, had, had gone through as well. And so I finished my time at Rhodes and, and started a, a program in, in city and regional planning. Um, and so that's kind of really what uh, drove more of my professional interests in this work and in transportation. Uh, ended up in, in New York working for this, the New York City Department of Transportation for, for a few years before, uh, before coming back to Memphis and have been really, really grateful to be involved in this work locally because, like I said, it is a bit niche. There's not as many opportunities to do the, the work here, so I've been really excited to get back into it here. So, um, so you've, you've, you've been at Innovate Memphis, you know, not for that long, although the organization's been around a while and it's been involved in the transportation and mobility work. So just t tell us a little bit about Innovate Memphis and mm -hmm. what it does. Yeah, so Innovate Memphis um, actually started um, with a, a, a grant from a philanthropy called Bloomberg Philanthropies. Uh, this, uh, this organization, this philanthropic group, started what were called Mayor's in Innovation Delivery Teams in, in five different cities, and so Memphis was one of those first five cities. Uh, and, and initially, that group was within city government, working very closely with the mayor and his staff, and uh, over time, rolled off into its own, own independent nonprofit. We still work very closely with the city and the mayor and his staff, um, but pursue some other kind of projects outside of the, those kind of local priorities or the, the administration's priorities. And um, pretty early on, Innovate, or what was Mayor's Innovation Delivery Team, was involved in projects that included things like, uh, you know, some early kind of tactical urbanism projects that started to showcase um, what streets could really be, um, that streets weren't just for cars, but they could be these thriving public places for people outside of cars, on sidewalks and on bikes, and um, if thinking about kind of uh, pop-up businesses located close to the street, you know, really activating this important public space that we have really, in Memphis. Really, the first iteration of the Memphix program. Exactly, and it's and it's amazing to see that still kind of continued today with with building Memphis, a, you know, local organization, um, activating spaces in neighborhoods where they have these partnerships with community development corporations. So I think that's a wonderful kind of legacy that we can see um, that really started with with Innovate Memphis. So before we talk more about transportation mobility. What are some of the other buckets, um, you know, focus areas that Innovate works in? Yeah, so it changes over time, kind of depending on the administration's priorities and also some other kind of opportunities and collaborations that we have with other folks. But, you know, at the moment, we're very involved in kind of parks and open space work through reimagining Civic Commons um, partnership that we have with a number of uh, organizations. 
Um, we have a uh, food security fellow at Innovate doing a lot of work around um, uh, hunger and food security for, for local Memphians, uh, some work in the kind of blight and solid waste space as well. And then a really big piece of our work that kind of has been uh, continuing and really growing over time is our our data work and so really trying to be the local data intermediary for um, nonprofits that there are a lot of small nonprofits that could really uh, benefit from from good data or have good data but may not have the capacity to process it and analyze it and share it and so that's one space that you know we're really kind of growing as an organization um, which is really exciting for for me and I think could benefit a lot of other kind of aspects of folks' works across the city as well. So the program, um, as, as the Transportation and Mobility Director, you know, the, the, the name of the program you're involved with administering is Commute, is called Commute Options. What is that? Yeah, so Commute Options um, is essentially a program, an education and outreach program to uh, remind folks, to educate folks, to kind of communicate to folks that there are alternative modes of transportation um, that are feasible, uh, that are better for your pocketbook, that are better for the environment. Um, we can kind of go down the list as to the benefits of kind of reducing our ride-alone, drive-alone trips. Um, and so primarily that that program worked with uh, employers, large employers, to kind of work with their employees. Um, currently, that work has shifted to working with K through 12 schools, and so focusing more on students going to and from school, um, their staff, the families. Why did the employer, I know that's been a discussion for a while, why is that being de-emphasized? Is it, was it lack of interest or just... Um, I'm, 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 this seems like, I won't call it low-hanging fruit, but it seems mm-hmm. like that there were opportunities there. Uh, the short answer is just because the grant uh, is ending and our, uh, it's a state, de- state Department of Transportation grant, and they have communicated to us that uh, that type of grant will no longer be um, available. So I, I agree, it's, I think... Um, kind of probably the best bang for your buck in terms of this kind of work. Um, And so we're hoping and kind of thinking about ways that we can continue to engage with the employer community in that work. Were you successful in getting, I know at one time there was, um, you know, activity around getting medical district employers, which of course, where there's a concentration of employers in one space, um, Mm -hmm. that seems like a natural fit, but was there, did you see success in that area? Yeah, I think that's a, a kind of a, an initiative that the Memphis Medical District Collaborative really leads up and we're a partner in. But yeah, I think that that's probably been the most effective um, example of that type of work, particularly particularly because you do have um, a lot of healthcare employees that live uh, in close proximity to the medical district, you know, thinking about uh, doctors and nurses on uh, in Harbortown, 
Um, as more and more people are living and coming downtown, that presents more of an opportunity to think kind of in a more creative way about transportation in that district specifically. So the, um, I mean, have we, so let's just sort of tick through what you consider to be these options, you know, the menu. I mean, mm -hmm. there's the obvious ones like, you know, riding your bike, um, walking, what are some others? Yeah, you know, I think we are at Commute Options. We, in some sense, are idealists because we're kind of in imagining a world that could be that's currently not in Memphis. Um, but at the same time, you, you know, we understand that Memphis has a lot of kind of barriers to doing things like biking and walking for anything other than recreation. Um, those are, of course, things that we still want to encourage and, and work with our partners to improve. But we understand that for kind of your average Memphian to get to places um, uh, away from your kind of own neighborhood, which typically don't have the daily services you need, uh, you're going to probably have to go farther than you would be comfortable walking and maybe biking. Um, what about things so, that aren't as sexy, but like carpooling? Yeah, that's one definitely one thing that we encourage and try to educate folks on. The Shelby County Health Department Air Quality Division actually has a, a van pool program that has been pretty successful with some employers. Um, you know, carpooling is often kind of an informal thing or has been, but there are more and more uh, applications, softwares that really try to make that a more kind of integrated um, an easier approach for folks, particularly that work at the same place, that take their kids to the same schools. And so those are things that I think are kind of growing in, in interest, particularly in, in Memphis, um, where uh, sometimes you honestly just have to either drive or, or have someone drive you somewhere. Um, well, when I was growing up, I mean, I grew up in, you know, the suburbs outside of Hartford, Connecticut. And I mean, I, a lot of people carpooled and it could be mm -hmm. because, um, you know, back then Hartford was, you know, they called it like the insurance capital of the world. And a lot of people worked at like traveler's insurance and they worked from mm -hmm. 830 to 430. And so, yeah. you know, you could probably find something in your, some people in your town who worked there and maybe the, the informal network was a little easier to assemble. But I remember that's a lot of people carpooled. Is, yeah. it, is it cultural? I mean, is it like geographically or is it just sort of, a, was it, it, and maybe you may not know, was it more of a thing at one time and now it's not? I mean, do you have any, any insights onto that? I mean, I know that uh, particularly in the, in the seventies during the oil crisis, it, there was really a boom in things like car. Yeah, when I grew up, that's probably why. Yeah. So, and so I know that that was kind of more culturally relevant during that time. You know, I, I, one of my assumptions, and I don't have hard data to back this up, so this is anecdotal, but, you know, really the fact that a lot of our employment is uh, transportation and logistics based, um, which oftentimes works in kind of this three-shift cycle. You've got folks working um, not, not just kind of your eight-to-five, nine-to-five shifts, but going out to the FedEx hub at 
you know, 10, 10 p.m. to start your shift, that makes those things harder too. It also makes providing public transit harder for a lot of those employees in a lot of those industries. Um, if you've got everyone working in a central location and they start and end work around the same time, it's a lot easier to provide kind of mass public transportation options for those kind of folks. But um, when you've got a, a, a city like Memphis that's 300 square miles and employment centers located all around kind of our metropolitan area, it, it makes that uh, solving for that issue a lot more complex. Well, um, I, I definitely, I see those things, you're right, as barriers just to alternative transportation in general. But you mentioned mm -hmm. sort of data, like what's the, um, I mean, Innovate Memphis has been working on this for a while. I mean, are you moving the needle um, in terms of reduced, and I realize, you know, gas prices, like you said, the economy, there's a lot of factors that go into it, but yeah. um, are, are we doing any better as a community? You can be honest. <laughs> no, you, you know, I think that you, you made a good point. There are a lot of external factors that are outside of our control. Of course, we saw the impact of the pandemic greatly impacting kind of our commuting landscape um, as remote work has become more common, as hybrid schedules have become more common. Um, in, in some ways, that is actually a net positive to reducing things like congestion and improving air quality. But of course, in other ways, um, it, it makes it harder for some kind of transportation providers as well. You know, I, I think Memphis has grown a lot in its kind of culture and infrastructure for uh, riding a bike. I think that's one thing that we can kind of definitively say has improved leaps and bounds over the last 10 years. Um, but I think that there are still obviously a lot of challenges in that space as well as other modes of transportation as well. Um, I, I think that we have the greatest success kind of like we were just talking about in very specific places like a medical district. You know, I, I think that they've been able to see a lot of success in shifting people's modes and the way they think about transportation um, in that kind of node or specific area. Um, I, I think it gets a lot harder to make those generalizations when you're talking about the larger landscape. Well, I do feel like it's on those, the options, the alternatives are on people's radar screens more mm -hmm. than they were when I started doing transportation advocacy. Um, I mean, I think that, I mean, you know, there's more bike and, there's improved bike and pedestrian um, infrastructure now, so it's easier to use those modes. And even with transit, I feel like with MATA, I think people now would like to use it if the system suited them. Um, I think, uh, and maybe this is just my, you know, the bubble I live in, but I feel like there's more, there's more cognizance of the fact that this is important. Um, you know, it's, we're not there yet, but for a long time, it wasn't even part of the conversation. 
Yeah, and, and you know, I think historically transit in Memphis has ta- has been talked about primarily from kind of a social service safety net type, you know, uh, transportation service. And I think that's an important part of public transit. But I think that um, there's another part of the population that regularly travels to bigger cities outside of Memphis and uses public transit and sees the value and enjoys that and comes back to Memphis and and, and yearns for that in a sense. Um, And so I I think particularly uh, younger generations who have kind of maybe more of an urban disposition and would like to be able to leave their cars at home or maybe never have a license and own a car. Um, I think there's more kind of draw towards um, that kind of urban living. You know, there's a reason why cities that have good public transit are are attracting kind of the the best and brightest that our country and honestly our world has, has to offer. I mean, it's an obvious kind of attractor for, for talent that, um, we really miss out on here. So, um, I agree with that with everything. I mean, I do think when you, when you get out of Memphis and you see, of course we're in the same boat as a lot of places. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, but, but when you do go to a place that has more, uh, transportation, you know, in the United States or outside and you, you utilize it, I mean, you're, it's like, wow, it would be great if we had this at home. Right. Yeah. So, um, so I always want to digress for a second. Um, cause one of the options that I have never really seen here but they have a lot of places, including Nashville, is, you know, express buses that take people from the equivalent of Collierville downtown. Now, I realize that even Nashville has a you know big downtown. It's, it's more tra- even though it's not that dense, it's sort of more a traditional layout. But I've never even seen people. And maybe it's because the business centers are so downtown. And then there's the Ridgeway and 240, which is arguably one of the biggest business centers. Um, have, has there, is there any reason why that kind of, and those are, I think, mostly private sector operated, so maybe it's just not feasible, yeah. but do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, you know, it's one thing that I think is becoming more a part of the conversation as we think about things like a Blue Oval City and the kind of opportunities and in industry that that will bring along. Um, of course, if it's privately operated or kind of a quasi-public-private partnership, the um, financials of it become a lot more important. And I think the lack of density in Memphis creates a particular challenge. You know, Nashville also has um, a, a, and I see it as a kind of a pro and a con, but Nashville has become a place where it is inconvenient and not very fun to try to drive into the city if you live outside of the city. So they have an added incentive for a service like a commuter bus service. Um, If you live outside of Memphis and drive into Memphis, unless there is a car crash, you're not really going to be sitting in standstill traffic for any amount of time. 
So there's no real incentive to do anything other than drive if you had that as an option. Well, that's, uh, yeah, you make a good point. And I mean, there's an expression, you know, sort of in the transportation world that the, you know, the enemy of transit is cheap, you know, cheap and free parking. And that's less of a factor here now um, than it was at one time, but it's certainly still, um, certainly still an issue. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm talking to Jackson McNeil, who's the Transportation and Mobility Director at Innovate Memphis. And we're having kind of a wide-ranging conversation about transportation alternatives. Alternatives to uh, traveling by car, by private vehicle. Correct. So, um, so Jackson, let's... Um, Let's talk for a minute about um, one of my favorite subjects, which is pedestrian safety. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, there's a, there's a study that gets a lot of publicity every year called Dangerous by Design. Um, yep. And and I guess a couple months ago, I had Nick Euler, the former um, bike ped coordinator for the city, on to talk about um, a, a bunch of things, but one of the things was the most recent results of that. But mm-hmm. um, but you recently called attention to another study that I was not familiar with, which is called the Safe Speed Index, and put out by a company called Streetlight. And yeah. it's um, it it um, it looks at some it, it looks at also it looks at pedestrian safety, but kind of from a different perspective and. And we can talk a little bit about the findings in a minute, which of course are interesting but depressing. But mm-hmm. um, but what's do you know what the difference is between? Is it just a different methodology? Um, th- that was particularly looking at, um, at speeds in kind of on pedestrian corridors in large metropolitan areas across the country. So that that study wasn't um, interested specifically in kind of uh, crashes involving pedestrians or pedestrian fatalities. You know that was really uh, specifically about speed, and, and and we know that that is the major factor in um, the rate of kind of or in likelihood of pedestrian fatalities. Well, the um, when you look at the when you look at the rating, um, I mean, there's definitely a, there's definitely, an, and, it, and it looks at, you know, the average speed um, that people are traveling on different, on different corridors. And, mm-hmm. um, and Memphis, Memphis is, um, you know, I think ranked 26 out of 30. So on that particular measure, so not that good. And, but there's, um, you know, the, not surprisingly, the cities that are the densest um, are, score the best. And of course, it's hard to drive fast if you're, you know, the streets are narrow and, uh, but Nashville did pretty well on that study. And are there things we could I mean, I've talked on the program before about, you know, traffic calming, you know, which can be 
you know, bike lanes. Of course, it could be things like speed bumps. But what are some of the, like if Memphis wanted to improve its, reduce the speeds, reduce crashes by reducing the speeds, um, what are some ways we could do that? Yeah, you know, I, I really believe in the, the power of, of infrastructure to influence behavior. There are other things that influence behavior too. Enforcement influences behavior. Um, enforcement also has a lot more kind of potential negative externalities um, than infrastructure. Um, but, you know, f- from my perspective, the best way to really um, ensure that we have streets that are safe, not just for people in cars, but for people outside of cars too, is to design our roads, our streets, um, in a way that prioritizes safety of, of everyone and emphasizes the safety of our most, most vulnerable road users, which are always people outside of a car. Um, and so there are a lot of different ways that you can design streets to um, increase safety for people outside of cars. You talked about traffic calming, and I think that's kind of the umbrella term that that we can use for anything that um, makes driving a a little bit more kind of um, cautious. You you know, if you are on a um, four-lane road with uh, nothing lining that road, and it's just a straightaway, something in your mind tells you that it's safe for you to drive faster, right? You don't even have to think about it. And oftentimes that's kind of what happens when we think about these, you know, quote unquote speed traps. You're driving on a state highway and the road doesn't change, but you drive through a a city and the speed limit changes. Well, if you don't see that speed limit sign, there's nothing to kind of signal to you that I should be going slower. And so you kind of have this, you know, what people refer to as as a speed trap. Um, Well, the opposite is also true. If you are driving on a street and it's narrow lanes and you have people on the sidewalk and you know that there is frequent kind of pedestrian crossing happening, you know that if you go too fast, there's a chance you put yourself in danger, well, then you're inherently driving slower, more cautiously. You know, you mentioned Nashville and and density. If there are a lot more cars on the road, you're also driving slower than you would otherwise. Memphis has so much excess road capacity that there are very few places where you can't go very fast, you know, um, if you choose to. And so I, I think that kind of infrastructure and the way we design our streets and our sidewalks and our public spaces has a really big impact that we can really lean into. You know, it decreases the need for more enforcement. You know, enforcement is always going to play an important role, but there's no way that we can ever say that our 2,500 police officers can monitor every intersection or every street of our 300 square miles of city. So we really need that kind of self-enforcing design for for our roads. Well, it seems like there's, um, you know, more emphasis on that. Um, You know, Nick Euler, you know, led that area very, um, 
in a very positive direction and building on you know his predecessor in that position and I hope we continue to see that has there been um I know that um I don't know that much about transportation funding but I know you know there's a lot of competition for transportation dollars and there's you know scoring complicated scoring systems looking at you know capacity and all kinds of the condition all kinds of things depending on how to spend dollars um is there um at the federal or state level is there more emphasis in those evaluation systems on safety there has been a a much greater priority on designing streets and roads for safety for all users under the current administration um, there are more incentives for kind of um, competitive grants and some even requirements. A lot of it depends on the state, but um, we still are kind of in a, a, a funding environment where the vast majority of, of infrastructure dollars for transportation goes to um, highway building, to widening roads, to things that make it uh, convenient to drive faster oftentimes, but make it more dangerous and have uh, many more negative externalities for uh, for anyone outside of a car. So there is some improvement kind of on a, a federal level, but as a country, we have historically um, given pennies to the dollar for things like transit and biking and walking well, and that same study also looked at, um, you know, walkability, and we scored even worse on that. We were dead last on walkability. And what are the what are the factors that go into that? I mean, it's I'm sure speed, but it's the existence of pedestrian infrastructure. And I guess it is the distance between. I know there's a national walk score that looks at. You know how long it takes to walk to different community amenities. Maybe I'm answering my own question, but what what are the some of the elements that contribute to an official, as it were, rating of walkability? Yeah, I think you mentioned some of the important ones. You know, somewhere to actually walk to a destination. Um, a lot of our land use prevents that. Um, if you live in a primarily single family. Uh, single-family neighborhood, um, you may be more than a mile from anything other than other neighbors' homes. And so um, typically that walking is just kind of for recreation or exercise, but really to see more pedestrian activity, there has to be um, destinations for people to walk to from their home, from their work, from other places they, they're going or they are. And they have to feel comfortable and it has to be interesting and so I think for for many Memphians um, the idea of walking to any kind of commercial corridor or along a commercial corridor I, I, I'd recommend anyone that's listening to this podcast to try to walk along Union or Poplar kind of our two main commercial corridors in Memphis and think about your experience as a pedestrian what does it sound like? How do you feel? Um, how are drivers kind of uh, approaching you or um, you know interacting with you? 
And I think until more people kind of get that experience and understanding of what it's like to be a pedestrian, to be outside of a car in these spaces, um, it, it's really hard to kind of uh, put yourself in, in, in those shoes. We, we see a lot of, and this isn't just Memphis, this is all over the country, there's a, a crash involving a pedestrian, a car hits a pedestrian, and our first instinct is to blame the pedestrian. Oh, they weren't walking in the right place. Oh, they weren't wearing bright enough clothing. They were walking in the dark, right? And until you put yourself in that situation as a pedestrian, um, it, it's really kind of a, a problematic to start making those kind of assumptions about what that pedestrian did wrong. Well, I mean, I could, couldn't agree more because the... Um, because the truth is that, you know, I'm a big pedestrian, but I'm a pedestrian by choice. And, mm -hmm. but a lot of people are pedestrians by necessity. And so the, you know, that's how people get around. And because they, you know, people don't have cars or they're not able to drive or they're, you know, there's a, a distance between where they're parked and where they're going. And, and so the, the pedestrian infrastructure isn't just for you know people who want to walk to um, the grocery store or walk. I mean, people. It's it's a it's a form of transportation. Every everyone is a pedestrian, and I think that's yeah. wonderful advice. Is get out of your car. You don't even have to walk on Union. You can just cross the street at a you know at a um, at a signal that has walk signs. And you can right. experience what it is like. And the um, we talked about traffic calming. You know, I live right off Madison, and you know, several years ago there was a lane reduction on Madison, and and it's it's improved that experience so much. Not just crossing the street, but walking on it was not a, even though it's really a street that has a lot of businesses and restaurants, it was, and I did walk on it. It was not a comfortable experience just to walk. Mm -hmm. um, I'm lucky enough to be able to be close to Overton Square and can walk down there. It wasn't comfortable and it's, it's completely changed. And, and I'm not saying that kind of intervention is going to be appropriate for Poplar or Union, but your your message that uh, people need to walk on those streets to experience what it's like a pedestrian, and so understanding, getting more of an under, like put yourself in in, in the shoes of people who are um, utilizing that infrastructure that way. That's right, yeah, and I think, you know, you mentioned Overton Square. Uh, essentially, if you want to live in a place in America that is walkable, you have to pay a, a premium to live there. In many, in most instances, um, that's one because that is an amenity that people want. There's a market force that's driving people towards that, and two, there's a, a, a shortage. So. Hence, people can charge more for real estate in, in those areas. And so it's, it's really clear that this is something that isn't just um, kind of a, a social equity issue and a safety issue. 
but it's clear that there's also a strong desire for those kinds of communities and places in those communities. And so I think there's a, a handful of incentives to, to move us in that direction. Such as? Well, I, I mean, just kind of what I mentioned, that there's the demand for, for it from people. Um, I think that in Memphis, we, it's getting harder and harder to ignore our pedestrian safety crisis. I mean, that's frankly what it is. We are ranked consistently in the top five of all cities across America in our rate of pedestrian deaths. And um, I, I'm really interested to see kind of what happens in the next mayoral administration um, because like we've been talking about, everyone is a pedestrian at some point. Not everyone um, has the choice to get in their car and protect themselves from other cars as well as you can. Um, many people choose or have to, to walk places. And I think we really owe it to um, pedestrians, not just from a social equity perspective, but just kind of in a making Memphis a, a desirable city, you know, to really in invest in that type of, of work here. Um, most of those dollars that we've spent have come from the federal government, but there are cities all over the country that are investing local dollars into more of that work. I know we do some of that here as well, and that's that's great, and I'm really excited about that, but I think we can go a, a lot farther to towards improving our transportation system, not just for pedestrians, but for anyone that's not in an automobile. Well, I completely agree with that. Political leadership is so important. And, and you know, there's, there's, um, there's a lot of, you know, emphasis, rightfully so, in, um, in our community on public safety. And, um, but there's a connection between those things. You know, people feel comfortable walking in their neighborhoods, there's more eyes on the street. And, yep. and there's, I mean, that's, you know, there's a definitely a dotted line there. So it's not, I hope we don't get into an either or, you know, which frequently happens, we can't, you know, mm -hmm. why are we spending money on bike lanes, when we've got this huge crime problem? Well, those things are, I mean, I mean, that's a whole complicated, you know, with the funding sources, and you can't use bike yeah. lane money to hire more cops. I mean, there's, there's that whole thing, but also it's, it's holistic. Those things are connected. It's all connected. And, and that's really what I, I try to emphasize is I think everyone, obviously everyone experiences transportation in their daily lives. Um, and everyone understands the importance of it, but I think oftentimes it falls down on the list of priorities that people have. Um, because they don't see the clear connection between the economic development piece of it, the public health piece of it, the cultural, you know, vitality piece of it, all these things that everyone knows and thinks are important um, are very, very closely tied to how well our transportation system performs. Well, I'm convinced. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one supporter. Right, exactly. So, okay. All right, Jackson. Well, this has been a great discussion. Um, anything else I didn't ask you that you want people to know? We covered a lot of ground. Um, 
Yeah, no, I mean, I think I'd love for more folks to take me up on my suggestion. Um, get out of your car, walk around, not just your neighborhood, but other parts of Memphis. Um, ride a bike. Try things out that you haven't tried out. Find a friend to try those things. Ride a bus, you know. I think for a lot of folks, that can be scary to do for the first time by yourself. So, um, you know, find a friend, find me. I'm happy to do it with you. And um, I think it really is, is, it makes a big difference, those kind of individual changes. I agree. Okay. Well, great. Well, you've been listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. I've been talking to Jackson McNeil, who's the Transportation and Mobility Director at Innovate Memphis. And we've covered a lot of ground here, probably haven't solved any problems, but um, <laughs> but talked about a lot of interesting approaches and hopefully you know, things moving in the right direction. So thanks for coming on the show, Jackson. Thanks so much, Emily. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy. Thank you.